My name is Amanda Newland Davis, and I run Oklahoma Cold Cases along with my partner Jen. At Oklahoma Cold Cases, we try to shine light on the cases of the missing, murdered, and unidentified that otherwise don't get much media attention. For the last four years, we've existed solely on Facebook, sharing the posts of the missing, murdered, and unidentified of Oklahoma. But this past year, we've branched out and started a database in which we list all of the names of every cold case that is in Oklahoma that we are currently aware of. You can find us at oklahomacoldcases.org. I would also like to take a minute to let you know about our podcast, which is called The Throwaways. It is about the Lawton serial killer, which is a series of unsolved killings considered to be by the same killer, which took place roughly between 1999 and 2003 in Lawton, Oklahoma. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Sirens, a true crime podcast brought to you by the Sirens Network. This podcast contains explicit content, so listener discretion is advised. The opinions expressed on this podcast are solely the views of the hosts and do not reflect the views of affiliates, associates, or sponsors of this podcast. This is Sirens, a true crime podcast. Today, yeah, we're going to talk about Roberta Bobby Lynn Daniel. This is from 1988, and it's still a cold case, obviously. Oklahoma cold cases. Roberta Bobby Lynn Daniel, the, uh, she was found dead January 2nd, 1988 in Watonga, Oklahoma. And I have a few words here from friends, uh, Bobby's friends, actually, that yeah. these these people sent us legit messages um, through our page on Facebook. I'll just read a couple of them. So Belinda H says, this still breaks my heart. It's, I was very good friends with her. We stayed together, worked at Dawn's and ran together. The fun and memories will never be forgotten. Then Patty P says they went to church together and high school together. Terry was a couple years older than her and Bobby and they graduated together. Terry was a good guy back then and Bobby was absolutely precious and she was absolutely beautiful. She remembers that she always admired her for her love of rodeo. So apparently um, Terry and Bobby, that was like their thing. And then Sabra says, Bobby and my mom were very close friends and neighbors while we lived in Woodward. So she says they were just like family. They did dance together. Um, They were, she said, I was a couple years older than Brooke. We have stayed in contact with Brooke through all of this. Brooke is Bobby's daughter. She said she was 11 at the time of Bobby's death, and she was like a second mother to her. She said she never experienced something like this before. She hopes Brooke gets closure she needs so she can heal and and move on. But it's just like, this woman is, this happened in 1988, and she's still not forgotten. That particular night had been brutally cold. The roads of the town, ice and snow covered. The Daniels, transplants from the Woodward area, which, by the way, is like the panhandle, the Oklahoma panhandle up by Mm -hmm. Colorado, and married February 8th, 1985. They owned a jewelry store on Watonga's Main Street. Terry Daniel claims he was working late in his Watonga jewelry store when a friend called to say his wife wasn't answering the phone. He rushed home around 11 p.m. She was at the base of our stairs and had a fillet knife protruding from her stomach and just a massive pool of blood around her head, Daniel recalled. 
I can't describe those feelings. Bobby's skull had been crushed, her throat cut, and a hunting knife plunged into her left side. The knife was later determined to belong to her husband. The window near the back door had been broken and was the only sign of forced entry into the home. Some jewelry was stolen, but apparently all belonging to the victim. What I have come to understand from the rest of the research is that they, uh, man and wife, owned a jewelry store. And along with her wedding ring and some jewelry that actually still had the jewelry store tags on them was stolen. Uh Uh-oh. R.A. McLaughlin worked as a Blaine County Sheriff's deputy. He was one of the first to arrive at the murder scene. A site one, one judge described as clearly a setup robbery. The initial theory was that a robbery had occurred within the Daniel household, with the robber surprising Bobby and resulting in her death. However, the evidence for a robbery doesn't quite hold water. Mel Hett, a criminalist for, for the OSBI, testified in 94 that the front door lock could not be reached through the broken window. So there was a broken window in the back of the home. And they had initially thought that that's where this person came in through and then unlocked the back door when he left. He did not leave back through the window, but went through the back door. But then this guy gets up there and testifies that he collected evidence. He didn't find blood, hair, fiber, anything like that to suggest anyone actually came through the window. And that if someone had broken out the window and then reached through to try to open the back door it was like impossible nobody could reach that far so then they're thinking that it was a staged like meant to be mm-hmm. look like it was staged forced entry but it they don't think it was so he said it's my opinion that no one has ever been through that window he and state medical examiner dr fred jordan said they agree that hairs were found on the victim's hands Jordan testified that he sent the OSBI eight hairs from her left hand, but Het said he only received three. Didn't see anywhere of what happened to the other hairs, where they went. He said that the hairs that he received actually belonged to the victim's daughter, Brooke, and some animals, probably cats. That's weird. Actually, now that I think about it, I don't know who called him. It, I don't think I ever saw who actually made that phone call. See, that's the thing. They met, I mean, you you have to be kind of an important person to call me at 1030 at night, expect me yeah. to answer, then turn around and call my husband at our store and tell him I'm not answering. That's weird. Well, and apparently he worked late a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, like he worked that late a lot and um there were like talks that the business was kind of uh going downhill and so i don't know if maybe he was just working that late to try to figure it out or like i don't know well i mean in all honesty like say, say me and my significant other had a store of any kind to be honest with you he would send i guarantee you mine would send me home before it got dark and anyone yeah. could possibly come in and rob you or you're there alone you know what i mean like mine wouldn't mine wouldn't go for that i don't think yours would either they're pretty protective Mm. dudes yeah no you're probably right you're probably right so here's what the medical examiner found so it appeared that bobby had been lying on her side like she had been killed and then she had landed on her side she had been there for 15 to 30 minutes 
before someone turned her onto her back. And they could tell this because of pulling of the blood. But yeah, so someone they think was there for at least 30 minutes just hanging out after she died. And then decided to turn her onto her back and then place the knife there after she was already dead. So she wasn't actually stabbed in that spot prior to death. And then to say that they determined that later that knife was the husband's, it kind of feels like a setup job to me. I'm just throwing this out. I mean, seriously. Called a fillet knife or a hunting knife. So it's a good sized knife. Terry Daniel's blood, like they they found her blood, but the husband, Terry, they never found any of his blood at the scene. And um, later, this medical examiner, he would testify that with the severity of the victim's injuries, blood would have gotten on her killer. All over. Especially the next thing. Yet, they never found any sort of bloody clothing that belonged to the husband or like anything like that just left it like it's it totally seems like some sort of setup unless they came in there prepared and was wearing gloves or something like that because they never found anything on the knife yeah i I don't know i think that was intentionally placed there i mean for one like you said super small town everybody has to know that that the this couple is the owner of that jewelry store So, I mean, they make a pretty good target. About a mile away, investigators actually recovered a knitting bag with the jewelry taken from the home in it, just like on the side of the road. The Bland County Sheriff's Office called in the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation, and Daniel says the OSBI agent focused on only him as the main suspect to the detriment of other evidence. At the time of Bobby's death... There was a $500,000 life insurance policy that had been taken out on Bobby only a few months earlier, which listed Terry as the first beneficiary. By the time he was able to collect on the insurance money in December of 88 with interest, it had grown to about a million dollars. The couple didn't have children together, but Terry Daniel has two from a previous marriage and Roberta Daniel left behind a daughter. The three children are the secondary beneficiaries on the life insurance policy. This wasn't the first time Terry had taken out a life insurance policy on her, though. In the summer before the victim's death, Daniel purchased $500,000 life insurance policies for himself and his wife. The life insurance agent said he sold Daniel a $100,000 life insurance policy in 1987. After about a year, Orr said the policy was dropped because the defendant failed to make monthly payments. The business had been going downhill by then said Howard Hurst, who has owned an insurance company in downtown Watonga for 21 years. The sad thing is nobody really had a chance to know her. She wasn't from around here. Daniel's financial problems apparently started with trouble in the family's jewelry business in Woodward. It was called North Ups. The defendant expected to inherit the 100-year-old business where he worked alongside his parents for years, but things changed. John Floyd Daniel Jr., the defendant's father, testified about the turmoil in the business once the defendant's new wife, Roberta, who was known as Bobby, started working in his Woodward store. Bobby Daniel was fired because of a way she treated a customer in front of him and his wife, John Daniel said. After that, 
He said he decided against giving Terry Daniel the business. In fact, Terry and Bobby Daniel bought another jewelry store in Watonga and moved. There are around 22 other suspects in the case, all of which were cleared by OSBI, except for Terry. So one of the suspects, which was a friend of the Daniels, his name was Donald Wayne Robinette. He was even accused of having an affair with Bobby. So Terry still claims to this day that he's the real killer in the case. And I went over a lot of different files, a lot of different news stories. And in like every single one, he is pointing the finger at this guy. So there wasn't any evidence found that would implicate Donald. Uh, And friends and family, stuff like that, they all had denied this um, affair. But there was the issue of Bobby apparently telling her close friend a couple weeks before her death that she was afraid for her life. This friend, she said that she wouldn't really say why she was afraid for her life, but said that Bobby had told her that she was extremely happy in her marriage, but that she like kind of felt like somebody was watching her or stalking her and she was kind of getting fearful the defendant's aunt sharon said that the victim told her about animals okay this is a little gruesome so i didn't put the details in there so she had testified that someone had butchered her pets and she literally said just like in the movie fatal attraction and that bobby was concerned about living in the house during the last part of 1987 Fatal Attraction did come out in 1987, and this okay. was the year that that was happening to her. Being relevant, yeah, yeah, it was extremely relevant at the time. Oh my God, and what if someone's mimicking? You know how people copycat Luca Magnata? Yes, that guy. I forget what movie he was mimicking, but yeah, it happens in real life. The defendant's daughter from a previous marriage testified that one night, about two months before the slaying, she and her stepmom, the victim. We're home alone when someone tried to get in the back door. They start hearing like the back door handle wiggling like someone's trying to open it. She says she opened the door and then slammed it on a hand. Bobby ran back there and closed it as it opened real quick onto a man's hand. That man then pulled the hand out and was gone. So this happened in 88 And they didn't actually indict anyone until 1994. And it was Terry that they indicted. April of 94, Terry files for a marriage license with another woman. In August of 94, uh, the bank actually filed for foreclosure on the jewelry business. September of 1995, they indicted him. Defense attorney Irvin Box worked to show the jurors the officers botched the investigation. Along with attorneys Stephen Box and Tara Little say they discovered 78 areas where officers failed in their investigation. Urban Box even points the finger at Donald Wayne Robinette as the killer. Robinette was at the Daniels' home on the day of the slaying to retrieve videotapes. Box said Robinette went into the house and talked to the defendant, Terry, on the telephone. Robinette's fingerprints were found on the telephone in the kitchen. Robinette denied that he and the victim were involved romantically. Box accused Robinette of changing his story and blamed investigators for not testing blood samples and investigating Robinette's muddy boot prints and pickup tracks. 
David Sauls, the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation's case agent, said Robinette was eliminated partly as a suspect because Terry Daniel first said he saw his wife alive after Robinette's visit. They're saying that it's it's possible that she was having an affair with this Donald Wade Robinette. He was in her house the day she was murdered. They have someone who can testify to that because he spoke to him in his house on the day of the murder. They have his fingerprints in his house on the day of the murder. Why was he not fully investigated? Okay, so I saw this somewhere else, and this is uncorroborated uh, because it was just like Reddit chatter, but um, someone, and total hearsay, but someone said that uh, Terry had actually called home to check in on his wife and talk to her, and he, while, while he was talking to her, heard a man's voice in the background and got upset, and then she was like, oh, it's just Dawn. And he was like, what do you mean it's just Dawn? Well, Dawn came by to get some videotapes from the house and he's here. And so he was like, well, put him on the phone. And so he talked to him. All that is still like pretty fishy, I think. All of that's fishy. The whole damn thing is fishy. The man just happened. He just happened to call at the same time this guy was there. I don't know. None of this was investigated properly, I feel like. There's too many what ifs and there shouldn't be that many what ifs. Because this is not like collectible evidence you can't blame it on like the times you know what i mean like oh well you know dna wasn't really prominent or whatever it doesn't matter like this is just pure simple investigating talking to people finding out when and where they were and like i don't know they Mm -hmm. indicted him they indicted terry in 95 they actually had to set the case aside for a while because Remember what happened in 95? Okay, see, all of these cases, they ended up having to kind of set his aside for a while. And then a whole entire year later, Terry's attorneys finally file a motion to dismiss due to insufficient evidence. That was never, like, they never dismissed it. The case went on and on and on and on. Drug on and on and on and on. Apparently... Somewhere along the lines, evidence went missing. The jewelry that had been found went missing. No one could produce the files that shows who it was released to or from. Um, a lot of things didn't get like like those five hairs. What happened to the five hairs? No one knows. Like there was a bunch of stuff that either didn't get tested, didn't get filed properly or just straight up went missing and so they never were able to have a a proper trial really and they just kept waiting and waiting finally in september of 2000 which was four years after that terry's attorneys filed a motion to dismiss with prejudice for a lack of speedy trial the jury came back with a not guilty and then it was dismissed That happened October 25th of 2000. So Fox 25 was investigating this on some sort of anniversary, whatever. I don't know. Um, But they actually questioned the OSBI and they asked to see the chain of custody forms for like all this stuff that went missing and they couldn't produce it. Not only that, but the agency denied their request saying that the state law doesn't require the OSBI to make such to make uh, those kinds of records public 
And then after that, they just like refused all interviews. Basically, they just kept saying no comment, no comment. So about this case, the OSBI says its case is closed, even though there's never been a conviction for the murder. Uh, I mean, how can, I don't understand how you can close a case on something that's never been solved. If anyone has any information pertaining to this case, you can always contact the Blaine County Sheriff's Department. If I, God forbid, I don't even want to talk this into reality. I don't even want to talk about this. But like, imagine you're 11 and this happens to your mom. And they're like, they only pick out like two people to actually really look into about it. And then they do nothing. And they, it goes cold. And then they close the case. And that's it. You've reached the end of our episode. All suspects are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Join Raven next time on the Sirens Podcast. Do we have an outro? That's our outro, isn't it?